welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking to different people, both inside the hospitality industry and also the people supplying the hospitality industry and how COVID-19 has affected the actual industry itself. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. These conversations have been fantastic for me to record the last week. Uh, And I think you're going to get a lot out of it, no matter what part you have to play in the industry itself. Uh, Always remember as well, in the link of this bio, you can actually send me a message, a recorded message in question that I can use in the podcast further on. So always make sure you have a look at that if you've got any questions about the podcast. Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. As always, it's exceptionally exciting to have you on board and listening, especially during this time of COVID-19 crisis. I've reached out to my most powerful connections on LinkedIn and asked them to be part of it because largely their stories are really going to play a part in making you uh, get some strategy in mind and, and feel a bit happier and more content with this crisis going through. And today's guest is no exception to that. Uh, Julian Merrow is a leasing, leasing executive, I should say, uh, food and beverage specialist for QIC Holdings. Hey, Julian, how are you? Good, Sean. How are you, buddy? I am really, really well. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, it's it's such a blessing to have you on. I know we had a good chat the other day just about, about different things and where you saw the industry um, out at the moment. So it was great to get some backgrounding out of that. But for the benefit of everyone listening to the podcast, do you want to talk about how you started out in your hospitality career to get to where you are now. Yeah, it's um, I think the journey's been quite interesting. So although I work for QIC now, um, my original career started off in owning and running um, restaurants and cafes. So mm. certainly being on the retail side for my current role gives me, you know, the ability to be able to look at both sides and understand both sides. So I think it certainly makes makes me a better leasing executive being on both sides. Mm-hmm. But when I look at where I started in hospitality, it goes back to my mum and dad um, who did probably typically what a lot of people do. They decided to, to have a tree change and left Melbourne when I was about eight years old. Right. Dad being a banker and mum being a nurse and bought an Italian restaurant. had your had your dad come from the hospitality industry before okay so my dad my my dad is italian heritage and his my grandmother and his mum and sisters are some of the most amazing cooks in the world they are just the best yes but because my dad was an italian boy he got weighted on hand and foot and had no idea (laughs) no idea (laughs) so so he uh, so off, you know, packed the car and off they went and, and, and flew by the seat of their pants. You know, I, I talked to him about it in depth and, and asked him uh, and my mom how much working capital they had. And I think he had a couple of months um, to, to try and make this work, having right. never worked in hospitality before. Um, and, you know, how, sure, did he, how did he get your mother over the line with that, Julie? Well, I think there was a little bit of marriage problems. But I'll get to that in a minute. I think it was, <laughs> I think it was. You know, right. we're going to try something new to make this. Led me to my latest role, which unfortunately didn't actually start very long ago, um, as marketing at the Speakeasy Group, who are just an awesome group with some awesome bars and restaurants like Odeve and Miona. Um, we've just launched some new, really cool concepts, but but for now, um, we're closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll be back. So yeah, that's that's where I'm at. That's that's where I'm up to right now. What did you what did you see the biggest difference between the style of English hospitality to Australian hospitality when you were going, you know, to pubs and pubs and clubs and yeah. restaurants and bars and stuff? I mean, from from um, a career perspective, I found the move here extremely challenging. Mm. Not just because the the way the industry operates is so different and the way that people consume the industry here is so different. But also um, in the UK, what you find is a lot of places, even if they have independent names, they're owned by one big company. Um, There's a lot of chains or there's a lot of one-off venues that are actually part of a a bigger corporation, which means that for people like me that are working in the head office element, 
there's a lot more opportunity um, to grow and develop. And when I moved here, I really, really struggled to find that because obviously there's so many independent venues here and they thrive and mm. that's not quite the same in England. Um, I mean, from a consumer's perspective, I think um, you and I have spoke about this before, but I was just overwhelmed by how much the chefs here are championed by, by the public. Um, and they're almost look to like celebrities and that's something that I really love and enjoy. I mean, my, my brother's a chef. Um, my, my father's a chef. My whole, my whole family are actually, I should have said that when you said, how did I start in hospitality? My entire <laughs> family work in the industry. Um, I was born yeah. into it when I was born. My mum was running nightclubs. Um, wow. my, my dad was a chef. Um, well, my no. grandparents owned a pub. So, you know, um, it's it's my whole background and yeah in the uk you don't really find that people people follow brands in the uk more than they follow people um mm. they follow trends whereas here i feel like quite often they will follow produce or um different different farmers uh different winemakers and you don't find that so much in the uk um so there's a big difference there's a big focus here on who's actually creating things um, rather than just the final final piece that ends up in front of you while you sat at that table for that moment. Um, yeah. There's a longevity behind the experiences here, which you don't really find back home. Have you, uh, do, you, do you have an understanding as to why, considering you've been here for five years, why there is that, there is that difference in Australia? See, I actually think Australia is quite behind the UK. Um, yeah in the way that we market and the way that we utilize technology and hospitality and a lot of things like that. And I think a blessing of that is that we're still extremely focused on community and obviously the background of the UK industry, and this is still very much true for pubs is pubs and in pubs, there is that big community industry and everyone knows the chef and you know, the owner, and you know, the landlord. But when you go to, to eat at restaurants or bars, it's completely different in England. Whereas here it's still very much, that pub mentality in every venue mm. because we haven't become detracted from it yet by everything separated from an app or there's this brand is cool right now or that brand is cool right now or it's just not quite happened yet people are more that place gives me a really good feeling or this has got a really good community vibe this place is doing great stuff with sustainability or the farmers that they work with and local produce um so I think it's, yeah, I think it's a bit of a blessing, to be honest, mm, that Australia yeah, hasn't, yeah. hasn't quite moved as quickly into the future as, as other industries, um, mm. other, sorry, other geographies have in hospitality. I mean, I, I don't quite think it's great how little Australian hospitality is adapting technology yet. Mm. I definitely think that there's, there's huge value in, in technology, and unfortunately in Australia, and, and for good reason, um, technology providers are quite often seen to be uh, the enemy and that they're just there to to rip you off. But um, something I massively disagree with. I mean, as you know, when you and I met, um, and we did little podcast series together for my mm-hmm. last job at Counter. And yeah. I mean, I, I'm not associated with Counter at all anymore, but I can say that that's genuinely a hospitality provider that is there to benefit your business and not to rip you off. Mm. Um, and I think there's just the odd few that have have sort of ruined that for the rest, and it's a shame because I think the industry could thrive so much more if mm. if we kept up with with what consumers expect. And everyone lives through a phone right now; they they live through their laptop. We we need to be making sure we're at the forefront of that. Yeah, hundred percent. Like even even some things which I've worked with. Um, some brands on the last sort of two years and some technology stuff, like as in it's blowing people's mind that that can still happen. Like I heard that stuff five years ago. And it's a concern to me that we're still having the conversation of if if it's okay or, or whatnot. And I think it, I think it leads into quite very much using, I didn't, I certainly don't want this conversation to be about, to be about data um, because I know we both know data very well, but like, but like, um, it, data is important to get the industry out of this. And and if people, if restaurateurs, bars, and and cafe owners 
had a better understanding of their data and and where their customers are coming from, and it, it might give them some um, insight into how they're going to trade coming out of this crisis and what they can expect and look for. Well, not just my if if a operator doesn't know and understand the entirety of numbers around their business, they can't run that business mm. as efficiently or effectively or to generate as much profit mm. as possible. And they can't, make, they can't make wise decisions when it comes to, to growth, to keeping the doors open, to changing product lines, to bringing new staff on, to how they market. I mean, they can make those decisions, but, but they can't make them in an informed way which, which is sensible or is going to catapult them into the future unless they're extremely lucky. I mean, you've got to look at numbers. You've, you've got to look at your analytics for every single thing that you do. You have to track every marketing campaign you do. Even if, you know, you just quickly throw $10 a boost on Facebook, don't just throw $10 at it and never look at how it, how it worked and what that audience picked up and who was most interested. Otherwise, it's just wasted. You can just understanding data can get you so much more and that's why I really think we need to adapt technology so much more and track everything that we're doing and yeah. tra- track what our customers are doing I'm not saying put chips in them but but there's there's ways you know using loyalty schemes um talking to them generating feedback that's not written on a card that you never look at and understand your customers a little bit more get to know them intimately and give them what they actually want um rather than just sort of guessing or listening to two customers that come in and have a chat to you at the end of the bar. Um, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's a, and I laugh at that, but that's obvious. That's how a lot of owners think. It's like, oh, I'll believe what my regulars say because they always come, so I'll just concentrate on that. And you, um, yeah. all you then focus on is is the smallest part of your, well, not the smallest part of your business, but like the business, the part of the business brand that isn't going to make you grow as much as you need to. So, yeah. The loudest voice isn't always the most important. Very good. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I'm going to use that. Um, <laughs> now, Chloe, you are so close to the Sydney hospitality scene, uh, and that's why I wanted to I wanted to get you on. You're often my eyes and ears into that market. Um, how have you seen it change over the last month? Um, <laughs> that's been a bloody shitstorm. Um, let's be honest. Mm. Um, I've seen really great things. I've seen terrible things, and I've seen really smart things. Um, it's it's been a bit of a massacre to start with, and I think um, you can only expect everyone to have felt a bit beaten up, sorry for themselves, um, and to have that, that period of what now. Um, but it's been actually really inspiring to see what's happened following on from that initial period. I mean, there's been businesses that have shut their doors, not because they've been forced to, but because they've made the decision that shutting their doors and unfortunately having to let their team go temporarily is the only way that they can ensure that they can reopen those doors in six, nine months' time. And that's smart. That's smart business. But then there's Mm -hmm. been beautiful things to see communities coming together to help local businesses that don't know how to market. They, they don't really know what's going on, don't understand it, but they want to keep them alive. So they've been shopping with them more. And then there's been this shift in, I mean, you look at places like Merivale. Mm. Never, ever did I think that I could eat a Merivale meal on my sofa mm. unless I snuck it out of the restaurant. <laughs> but... Which I won't lie, I've done it a lot. Of <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to comment on that, but yes. Yeah. Um, but you, you can. I mean, the first week that this happened, Cho Cho San in Sydney is my favourite, favourite ever restaurant. My partner and I go every month, and then me and my best friend go every month. Um, and I just love it there. And I mean, the first week of shutdown, they shut the doors, and my little heart sank. And then two days later, I was there picking up everything that I'd eat in the restaurant and driving it back home and eating it. It's been really great to see businesses adapt, businesses that know that they can actually still make a profit because I think that's the difference. You're either keeping your doors open to maintain brand, but you can afford to do that and you're not losing money, or you're keeping your doors open to generate a profit. If neither of those things are happening for you, 
it's time to just shut the doors and and focus on how you can reopen them when this is all over. Yeah. But it's been really great to see those businesses adapt. And actually, I think it's maybe been a bit of an education for some of these some of these bigger operators or fine diners that quite often you can go into them and they're not even willing to adapt a dish to suit you. And now they're having to adapt their entire business model. And it's almost um, a, a bit of a reminder that actually they're there, not they, we are there to serve the community, to serve the people. And, and sometimes that means changing the way that we do business, changing the way that recipe is or that ingredient is used. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been really good to see so many people take on that challenge. Um, another incredible thing that I've seen is the, the way that people have just started turning into grocery stores. Um, yeah, it's been stupid, my, isn't it? My suburb is full of them. There's a pub. I, I love the pokies. Sorry to admit it. <laughs> There's a pub at the end of my road and I always go in the pokies there and I was walking my dog because that's allowed last night. And uh, I walked past her now, instead of being just the buena, which you'd go to play pokers and get some good food, it's the buena convenience store. <laughs> I can get wine in there, I can get food, I can get bread. I mean, everywhere, even a local coffee shop has got a big trestle table outside and they're selling kilo bags of pasta and whey protein. I mean, protein. Like, whey protein? <laughs> I mean, I think people are just grabbing whatever they can, but it's groovy yeah. and, and yeah. people like it and they're taking it. The, the, I live, uh, my apartment is attached to a cafe next door. Yeah. Yeah. And um, chef, to start with, he said, nah, we don't do takeout. We don't do delivery or takeout. People can get their coffees, but it won't be food. Right. For the last week I've gone in there and they've bought a fridge, like a, a storefront fridge. Uh-huh. And every day he's making the basis for pastas and he's making the pasta and he's making all these different bits and bobs. But instead of making it as an entire dish, you take it home and cook it. You sort of pick and choose what you're going to put in that pasta dish from his shelves. And mm-hmm. you can build your own, but everything's ready just to heat it at home. And I mean, this is a guy that two weeks ago, honestly, if you'd asked him to leave something off of your plate, he would have told you to go and eat somewhere else. And it's, it's incredible. I've, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm just a crazy optimist right now because I feel like I need to be to stop myself going mental. But mm. as well as all the bad shit I've seen happen, I've, mm. I've seen great shit too um, mm. in terms yeah. of the operators. So yeah, I think it's I think at the moment, like it's definitely a, a, a more in the positive balance. I've seen some people sort of in the industry who I think would continue to sort of trade in this period of time, trade out of this really be positive and imaginative not be. And, um, but I've seen a lot more that are just doing stuff that I never would have thought happened. I think there's a there's probably an opportunity, to, a, a bit of a rebirth for the corner store mentality in a lot of these different brands. Like I was, I've spoken to a lot of different people over the last two weeks and just sort of asked them like, what do you think is going to happen when we get back to quote unquote normal and we can all sit in restaurants again together and, and that kind of stuff. Do you think there's going to be elements of what we see now as being longevity in these brands? Like, are they going to all of a sudden always do delivery or always do some form, form of pickup? Or you know? I don't think so. Mm. I, I, I don't. I think that a lot of them will maybe keep that aspect there for a little while. Um, mm-hmm. I think in terms of a consumer level, are we all going to want to stay stuck in our houses when we're done it for six months probably not Mm. um but i think they'll maybe keep it there to some level and there might be some really exciting new stuff that comes out of this there's not many bars that you can go to at the moment and love a cocktail and say can i take a bottle of that home and i think that might change um i mean an example is my my partner was arranging a uh over skype welcome lunch for someone that was coming in, it just sounded really dull, like really, really boring and dull. And they were yeah. going to use Uber Eats, which um, is almost like saying Voldemort to me. Yes. Just yes. don't even mention it. Yes. Um, nah, it's a big no. Anyway, so I said, let me sort this out. Um, and I contacted Michael, who owns PS Soda and PS40, because I knew they'd started doing bottled cocktails and he was doing some delivery around the city. Mm. And... Michael that owns PS40 was on his motorbike 
going to 16 different people that work in my partner's team in all over Sydney and delivering them cocktails that were pre-bottled. Yeah. And they were, they were all different pre-bottled cocktails, right? So imagine <laughs> when PS Soda reopens the, and, the, and the bar PS40 reopens and people go in and they've, they've had a flight of cocktails to test. And then at the end of it, they're like, that's the one I love. And because now they've got this takeaway license and they know how easy it is to bottle it and they've got, they've got everything there they need to do it, someone can do that and they can give them a gift bag to go home with that bottle. And that's not something you'd normally see. And I, I do really think that's the sort of thing that we're going to start to see. Or I think it's going to help with wastage as well. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. An awful lot. I think maybe even if restaurants don't keep the delivery and takeaway element, um, I'd hope to think that a lot of restaurants towards the end of the evening when they're getting their last diners sitting down start to implement things like um, the take-home menu for the last last seats of the night and they just mm -hmm. list on there when the last last service of the evening comes in a menu comes onto the table and this is what's available to buy to take home for tonight and it mm. could be almost like a grocery store where mm -hmm. you take the dry goods home or it's cakes that have already been made or dinner that they could heat up tomorrow but wouldn't last for service in the restaurant and yeah I think there's elements of it that will stay and people will be creative with how it stays. Um, and I mean, consumers at the end of the day are going to dictate how it flows and nobody yeah. knows how people are going to be at the end of this. Either people are going to fall in love with the way that it's been and being able to eat at home and be around family more mm -hmm. or they're going to, which is what I hope, they're going to go out and appreciate dining out a little bit more, which is something even I really, really take for granted quite often, how how precious it is to be able to go and sit in a restaurant and have someone bring your food over to you and treat you like you're really special and talk you through something they're crazy passionate about that you don't really understand. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that this time actually makes people feel starved of that and, and they're ready to get back out and they don't want delivery anymore. Um, but yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, yeah. I, I just, I had a chat with a friend in America this morning and he said to me, what do you think the biggest takeaway, what's the biggest thing you want hospitality owners to know after the, this crisis ends? And I, and I said to him, the way that this actually feels right now. Because if you yeah. remember how this feels right now, then you won't take for granted how it, how it is when it ends. And, uh, and I think that's really important. We need to, this will, this will in the long term make the industry better and stronger. We just need to pull people through with it. And, yeah. um, you know, that's the most important thing is to pull as many people as we can through this process. Um, so let's talk about the two initiatives that you're a part of at the moment because they're really exciting and I personally would love to know a lot more, um, especially because they're Sydney-based. The first one is travelling tables. So do you want to talk about that and how it um, aims to connect people who are disconnected? Yeah, so travelling tables was more of a selfish idea, really. Um, <laughs> but I, it was something that I thought about. I have some people that live on their own in my building and they're, they're isolating. I'm isolating. Again. Mm. I thought, I just feel sorry for them. I mean, one of them, Derry, he's an 85-year-old guy. And I'm like, he's got no company. And how do, you, how do you sort of do something together when you're apart other than being on video calls and blah, 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 that everyone's doing? Mm. And, um, and food is my biggest passion. So I, I sort of uh, just came up with this little idea that I thought, wouldn't it be nice? I know loads of chefs share their recipes anyway, but if everyone cooked the same thing every Wednesday, wherever they are in the world, um, and a chef created a recipe just for that, it's not one of their normal recipes that they do, it would be a, a fresh recipe. So mm. I came up with traveling tables Um and the idea is really simple. Um, every Sunday I post who the chef is, what the dish they're going to make is, and the ingredients that you need to buy. Um, so it gives people time to go and sensibly buy the ingredients ready for Wednesday. Um, and then on Wednesday I publish the entire recipe mm -hmm. um, so that everyone is cooking and enjoying the exact same food on the same day, wherever they are. And it was, it was just a bit of a thing to me of how, how can you make people feel connected even though they're completely apart. And I, I didn't really think it would take off um, mm -hmm. at all. And then I did the first one with my favourite restaurant, Max Smith from Cho Cho San, um, and I was amazed at how many people got involved in it. 
Uh, we did the second one last night um, with one of my favorite people who was on my podcast, actually, um, mm -hmm. Monica, who runs Lulu's Sydney, mm -hmm. um, which was just incredible. But it's, it is really nice. I mean, the first week we did it, it wasn't just I cooked the same thing in my kitchen other people cooked in theirs. I, I made Max's tart. Mm -hmm. I then sliced it up. I walked a piece of the cafe next door. I put three slices in the lift and I buzzed the numbers yeah, of the I three names that. I know live on their own and I sent yeah. it up. That's really cool. Um, and I saw other people doing the same. My, my brother, who was a chef in England, cooked it with his daughters and taught them how to make pastry for the first time. And mm. he did his own little take on it and everyone recorded it and shared, shared their videos. And it, it was just really, really great. So yeah, traveling tables was just, um, it was a bit of fun that's, that people have latched onto. And I'm really, really glad. And I, I really want to keep it going. Um, it's, it was nice even like midway through cooking, I had people calling me asking about, steps in the recipe they didn't understand or the the next person that's doing it is mark from tarawara estate he's the head chef okay. there yeah and um like he's been contacting me because one of the ingredients he wants to use people would have to order online and he knows that that's not how this should be it should be accessible for everyone so he's quickly trying to alter it and it's <laughs> it's just you know what it's like a really good way to communicate with people i've had so many long conversations or people then we've had discussions afterwards about how it tasted or my neighbors telling me how much they enjoyed it. People tell me what their experience when they cooked it was or how they're going to change it for the next one. So yeah, it's, it's been a, a nice little side project to work on just as um, something to, to share food with everyone and, and make people get cooking a little bit more. I mean, mm. my next project that we're going to talk about, obviously I'm pushing that people still eat out, but I, I myself am huge on cooking myself and, I feel like this is a really valuable time for people to get back in the kitchen or that aren't usually in the kitchen to get in the kitchen and to yeah, actually learn how to good. make things from scratch, mm. not panic buy. You don't need to go and buy boxes of pasta, make them. It's not hard. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's a great time for people to start learning. And I thought that was another way to do it. Use a chef's name that they know mm -hmm. and they idolize and say, the chef's made this recipe and it's super easy. That's really cool. Have you, have you got the word yeah. about traveling tables? That's such a good initiative. Um, I, I don't know. I just sort of posted it on my, on my own socials. Um, right. And then people shared it. And then I guess, I don't know, it took off from there. It's, like, it's a bit it's of a good normally, travel sparse kind of thing, isn't it, really? Yeah. I normally just like to let stuff grow naturally. I'm not much of a um, let's pay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. let's pay to get the noise out if there's noise mm -hmm. worth having it should really come <laughs> if not maybe just shoot it dead in the water yes yeah. totally um so let's let's talk about what you just hinted at there which is mossman eating um which is obviously an initiative in sydney as well so let's let's have a chat about that because it sounds really cool yeah um so this this has got me super excited um this week because it's it's growing a lot in the background now. Um, but Mossman Eating was basically, when everywhere started shutting down, um, all that I saw around Mossman before you had to be inside all the time was Deliveroo and Uber Eats as everywhere started shutting down. Yep. And all that I was seeing online was Uber Eats and chill and Deliveroo and chill and all this shite. <laughs> and knowing the commissions that these guys charge and knowing business owners that were already on their knees before mm. Corona struck us mm. and were struggling to keep up with this commission, but, but needed it to keep their style of business, which was delivery or takeaway running. Um, I, I just, something just struck in me. Um, and then I got this ad that came up to me um, on Facebook and it said, um, it was, it was delivery and it was basically like, yay, we're wiping delivery charges. But the way that it was worded, mm. if I was a consumer, I would have taken that in as, oh my God, the venues are paying nothing. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm supporting yeah. local businesses. Yeah. And the then lo and behold, mm. yeah, 10 minutes later. I go onto my local, my local suburb has this Facebook group with like 30,000 people in it and they're doing this big post in there and all these people are joining it and they're hashtagging support local and posting pictures of their Uber Eats 
and it just killed me. So I got home. um, I was at the gym and just thought, no, I'm going home. I'm sorting this out. And it was before everything closed. And I thought, right, I'm just going to make a website just for my suburb, Mossman Eating. I'm going to list all the businesses that are doing collection, all the businesses that are doing delivery, a direct link to their menu and a direct link to call them and order directly. And then I'm going to publish it in this Mossman living group and hope that people start to use it even just a tiny bit. Mm. So I did that um, and then was a bit flabbergasted that within 48 hours I'd had 3,000 unique visitors. And I was like, this is bloody brilliant. And then I had had loads of um, venues suddenly filling out a form that I'd put on there to submit their business details, which then I thought, oh, I can grow this more. So I put another form on there. If you've lost your job, submit your details and I can put you in touch with businesses to maybe help them to mm-hmm. be able to have a delivery element if they don't right now. Mm-hmm. So then that took off. So then this whole thing became a little bit of a, a cog that just kept, kept growing and people are using it and it's, it's still gaining. Um, I can't turn the notifications off. So I have to put my <laughs> phone on silent around lunchtime and dinner time every night because my phone does not stop letting me know when people are on the site. Um, and, and yeah, it just, it really took off. So then I decided, okay, what would make people want to use this even more? Mm. I'm like, if it was actually Deliveroo or Uber Eats, right? Because mm-hmm. the great thing about that is it's an app. You order through the app, you pay through the app, you're done. Mm-hmm. I am on unpaid leave. <laughs> I cannot afford to build an app. Yes. So I started reaching out to a few different companies and got nothing back. So I thought, right, I'm just going to keep it going as it is and instead do some other stuff. So I started talking to places like different um, uh, publications. Um, I was just telling you earlier, I've just had 2,000 Time Out magazines and Hunter Valley Living delivered to my apartment to go out to all of these venues to give to their customers with their takeaway and started doing all this I thought I can keep Mm -hmm. it community wide and it'll be a really beautiful community thing and I I see it mentioned a lot and it's great um but yeah it's just not enough for me to be honest and I've seen other people attempting to do it and they're just not quite getting that message across so I decided to um launch a business which I'm working on in the background ready to launch hopefully in the next week called Locals Eat. Mm-hmm. Um, so no one steal it. I've already got the ABN. I own the domains. Um, <laughs> and I've been really fortunate that some, um, I've, got, I've got the ideas and I've got the passion and I've got the drive to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't have the funding to do it. And, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. Um, and I've had a couple of companies step forward to join forces with me and to cool. bring the funding that I need um, and some of the additional resource that I don't have myself or the mm-hmm. talent that I knowledge and know how that I don't have to help me build that um, initially as a website. Um, so Locals Eat will be a website which then houses every suburb in Australia. We're going to start with the key suburbs uh, to begin with um, and it will have just collection and delivery, links to their menus. We're also going to do it for um, a few major towns in England mm-hmm. um, with with one of the investors in this is um, a technology company, an app company that uh, they have a business in England and Australia. I have an interest in both, so it makes sense to just do those. But this is entirely not-for-profit. Um, and, yeah, it's just going to basically become a big online version of delivery and uber eats which um businesses will then be able to request to turn their menu into an into online ordering through this web website so they'll basically it'll be a a web-based app um that people can order do exactly as they would with delivery just not on their phone well they can do it on their phone just using safari or chrome Mm. place their order check out whatever um if you haven't opted to do that that doesn't matter you just mm-hmm. keep doing you. We'll still list you on there. I, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I'll still list you on there for people to try and order directly through you. Um, but, but yeah, so that's, that's growing out to be a much bigger thing than just Mossman, which I'm, I'm really thrilled with. So um, obviously it's going to be really hard to get every single venue on there. So we're just going to put up an option to, same as I have now, a form. If you're not featured on there and you do do delivery or collection in your suburb, fill out the form and it'll put you up yep. if your suburb's not listed 
Groovy. Tell us the name of your suburb. We'll get your suburb up. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's basically so that this thing that's taken off here and people actually use can be, can be used. I mean, it's no... I think some people look at it as an inconvenience because it's so convenient to jump on Deliver or Uber Eats. It's absolutely no different. It is no different whatsoever to jump on a website and search it and place your order directly. Um, yeah. I mean, the amount of time that you spend adding your order to the cart on Uber Eats is probably the same amount of time that you'd spend on the phone placing oh, that order. And that business owner is then getting that 35% back to them. And yeah. that, that is huge. Oh, it's it's it makes it makes delivery and pickup actually profitable rather than something you do just to be part of part of the actual crowd that's doing it. It's quite, quite well in the normal climate. Yeah, it does. But in our current climate, mm. hospitality is on its knees. I don't care whether you think that it's not because sometimes you see a queue outside a cafe. Think <laughs> of all the other business they've lost from not having people sat in there eating breakfast, ordering coffees over and over again because they're sat on their laptop. Oh. We're all on our knees right now. Mm. So 35% commission on top of being on your knees when your only option is to do delivery and take out or shut your doors mm. is <laughs> not sustainable. Yeah. And we are not going to have an industry to go back to mm. if, we, if, we, if we support that sort of bullshit. Um, and yeah, to, to me, I think a lot of people, like I said earlier, they're, they're dwelling in it that work in the industry and they're still sad and they're not doing anything. And it's mm -hmm. actually, we need to look at this as a time to create the industry that we wished we worked in, because when it reopens, that's exactly what we've had the opportunity during this six, nine months to do, to recreate yeah. a new industry, to be the sort of industry that we want and the sort of industry that I want. Mm -hmm. is an industry that champions the creators and the hard workers mm -hmm. and the servers and the migrant workers and the mm -hmm. tourists and everyone, everyone that, that works in the industry. I want them to be paid, paid fairly and get what they should out of it rather than just be ripped off and paid shit and not appreciated for their hard work because it is hard work. Um, yeah, it definitely is. Um, yeah. As I said, first of all, I'm just on your site now. It's absolutely bagging. It's fantastic. Thanks. Uh, I made it myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm very, it's very impressive. Um, very In impressive. three hours. Yeah, right. Isn't it funny things you do under pressure, right? Um, when you've got an idea flowing. Um, the second one is definitely like uh, I want to touch this on a bit with you because I know you are so knowledgeable in the area of, of wages and, and – um, people on visas and, and that kind of stuff in this country and, and largely they, they make up yes. at least half of um, the employment, uh, employed people in hospitality. Um, yes. And it's just so hard now as someone who's, a, who's us two are leaders in, in hospitality to look, at, to look and see those people have no outlet of funding anywhere. Um, it's vile. Yeah, um, literally. I mean, you know that I'm mm. I'm involved in the Hospo Voice mm. um, Hospo Voice group, and some of the stories that we see coming through there are just absolutely disgusting. I mean, we had a call on Friday uh, where we wanted to try and work out how we could how we could shout this message that migrant workers needed to get support as well, um, mm -hmm. and. That's, I'm sure you've seen it now in Melbourne. We, we came up with the apron idea mm -hmm. of hanging your apron out and writing migrant stories on them and where they're at now. And I mean, what, what is happening right now is that migrant workers who have, might I add, been paying tax and been paying into the system mm -hmm. are being told, you are getting no support, go home. And they are having to beg for food. And the the funniest thing to me in this whole scenario, um, I've actually just written a blog post on, on this today that I'll share with you, but the, the funniest thing to me is that the people that are offering them support is hospitality operators who are already on their knees. Yeah. Who is having to feed all of these migrant and casual workers? And I mean, I don't get any support from the government. I, I'm fortunate that my partner's looking after me, but... Mm. 
the, these people need feeding. They can't eat. They're, they're, luckily now they can't lose their tenancies. But a lot of people already have been kicked out of their units before it was too late. Yeah, correct. And they're having to turn to venues and chefs and owners that are already struggling to survive to feed them. And all these legends are stepping forward and feeding them and providing meals or shutting their doors to solely focus on feeding the rest of the industry. Another reason why we both work in hospitality, right? Because it's just the best community you could ever be in. Um, but, but yeah, it's just, it's absolutely disgusting to see it. And also I'm not, I don't think people completely understand if, if we don't have all of these migrant workers there working in our industry and they have to go home, they are also quite often tourists mm. that are here traveling and working while they travel not only paying into our taxes, but making our economy run. We would be in a recession if it wasn't for tourism in Australia. Mm. And are we basically saying, tourists, fuck off? Mm. It's just, it's madness, yeah. I, as you can tell, I, I don't think everyone deserves a handout. And that's why like, I don't get any support. And I, I agree, I shouldn't get any support. I have savings. I can support myself. I, I'm a permanent resident, mm. but I, I don't. I don't need it right now, but if you need it, you should, you should get it. If you've been paying into that system that is there to provide support, when you need that support, you should have it. And it's sickening to see so many people, so many people don't. Um, And I mean, a lot of people are feeling ashamed about the fact that they can't support themselves, which just having a huge impact on, on mental health. Um, as well as everything else. And it's not a good time for mental health as it is. Never mind telling people to go away and starve. Mm. Um, well, just to go so, yeah. on, on very expensive flights and, and that kind of stuff. It's a really, it's a really hard situation. The probably, probably ones I feel the most um, empathy for are the ones who have been, and this isn't everyone who goes through the situation, but people who have been pushed into being paid cash. Um, and um, have had no other choice because they haven't been able to find work um, and have all of a sudden been on these these cash deals which are dramatically underpaid where there is no superannuation so therefore there's no there's no superannuation they can even pull from in the next in through April as the government has announced um, yeah they're literally fucked and and it's it's those owners who are paying in cash who couldn't give a shit and yeah. it's um it's deplorable and and it's, and it's awful that it's been unchecked for so long by our governments and councils who it's obvious to everyone who's walking past a venue which is overpopulated with staff that people have been dramatically underpaid yeah and um, no one's that's one thing that I'm hoping comes out of this that those piece of shit operators mm. fail yep. and they can't come back mm-hmm. um, because there, like, there is so much joy and beauty in our industry but there is so much dirty stuff that happens too and there's so much mistreatment mm. and underpaying and people who don't know what their rights are mm. I mean we have a huge um, sorry to keep mentioning mental health but as you know it's something that I'm really passionate about is mental health in our industry mm-hmm. and we already have a really poor mental health in our industry never mind to then be treated like shit by the person employing you or underpaid and made to feel like you've got no choice but just to accept it and go with it mm-hmm. overworked I mean when you go to some of these crazy like you say you walk past and they've got loads of staff on you know they're being underpaid Mm. But when it's somewhere you walk past every night and you see the same face every night. Yeah. And you know that they're being underpaid as well and they're working every single day of the week and you see them when you walk past in the day and they're cleaning. Mm. I don't want these people not to have jobs, but at the same time, I don't want them to have to go back to that operator. And I, I just hope that it is these sorts of businesses that absolutely crash and burn mm. in all of this and it's almost a bit of a cleanse for our industry. Yeah, I agree. I think um, the good guys will prosper. Mm, yeah, I, I agree. It's it's very interesting to see how it plays out. I know, obviously, you're you're saying there you've got a you've got a great voice with Hospo Voice, which largely do really good work. 
Um, and I know the the restaurant industry and restaurant leaders are starting to speak out um, on this issue. So that's um, that's a good thing. It's just a question of if it will if it will change things. So you can only can only continue to voice your opinion and hope. Yeah, that's the that's the sad thing. Can only hope and offer whatever support you can offer. I mean, I think some people think, oh, well, I've not got anything to give. Even if you can cook your dinner and you've got two portions and you only need one, mm. post it and let someone come and pick it up because yeah. there's a lot of people in our industry that are really fucking hungry right now. Um, and they would really appreciate that. Um, or just even as simple as just offer to let someone give you a call, just say, just post in one of these many groups. I mean, Worksmith has made an incredible group. Mm. Um, just mm. post in there and let people know that you're there. If someone needs to talk, if they need to shout, if they need to cry. Um, I think that's the main thing we need to take away from this, that we are an industry that is used to being the backbone for the rest of society and, we've had that taken away from us and we're, we're fractured right now. And we, we don't know what to do with ourselves and we've lost purpose because we're all in this industry because we have some desperation to serve people. I mean, I reckon my partner, Brendan has maybe put on six kilos in two weeks because <laughs> all that I do is cook and feed him. My neighbors are getting different desserts sent up to them all of the time because I'm so lost Yeah. without knowing what to do. Yeah, and so it's almost like okay, guys, we're all lost. We've lost our purpose. Let's find a new purpose. Mm. Let's make our purpose to support one another instead mm. of supporting everyone else for a little while. Mm. Let's just be there for each other and pull one another through, and let's focus on collaborations. If someone's had to shut the doors to their bar, but you're still managing to run your takeaway, and they've got a license now to do takeaway booze, collaborate with them. Mm. Make dinner packs tell people that they can get their booze and food delivered from the same menu and get, get that done. Do whatever you can to support other people right now. Because even if you look at them as your competitor, usually they're not anymore. If there's a street that normally has 20 cafes on it and in nine months time, it's got one, no one's going to come to that street. You want your neighbors to reopen too. Um, so I think that's our biggest thing here that it's not a time to compete with each other. It's not a time to curl up and cry and feel defeated. It's a time to be really strong and stand together and support one another. Mm. If there's nothing else you can do, even just by being there. Mm. It's, yeah, anyway. I you get me all riled up. I think just... I the think girl just, that was too nervous <laughs> to come on is like sweating and riled up now. Mate, I knew that would be I knew that would be the case. That's why I wanted to have you on. It's like when can you remember when I had to cover that podcast for you because your flight got cancelled. Oh yeah. And it was with like my biggest <laughs> idol and I was shitting myself and then <laughs> somehow it, it ran for an hour and forty five minutes. And that was a cracking podcast, wasn't it? <laughs> it was great. <laughs> it was the end of my demise. Sorry, <laughs> that was fine. Um, no, was oh yeah, sorry. We never did one with you. No, you never did one after that. So there we go. Um, Chloe Thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast. Let's um, make sure we give a plug to your Thank podcast. Thank you for having well. me. That's all right. Um, what, what is your podcast? Everyone can follow it because they are they are cracking. Yeah, I haven't actually done one since last year, but I'm going to start posting them on there again. But it's mouth behind the menu. Um, I've I've been really distracted, but I'm I'm going to get back to it. I think I need some passion project time. So there yeah. we go. And I'll probably if you let me share this one on there. Um, yeah, but. Before that, people should listen to the awesome podcast that you and I organised together, <laughs> um, which I'm also, they're available on Mouth Behind the Menu. <laughs> <laughs> they will be. Uh, the, the four that we did do with Counter was was exceptional. Um, was oh, really, they were really proud. insanely good. Mm. Um, they are actually, I have them on my, my website, um, they link back out to counter, but I, I am going to link them on to mouth behind the menu as well, especially the one that I covered for you, because that was, that was one that I feel like would be great to share again right now, because people are sort of forgetting what Australian cuisine is. The process and then minor group board members who are also part of the process, they had a 50, 50 joint venture. They were, there was no wow. major shareholder, which wow. has changed. That's confusing. Mm. Yeah. It's changed now. Mm. Um, it's changed now, but at that point they were fifty fifty. 
it's really, really difficult to work through a due diligence when you haven't got a major partner. Yes. And, and obviously there's different requirements from a publicly listed entity and, and the coffee club founders who are, are Brisbane boys and so accessible and so easy and would just come and go, yeah, no problem, no problem. But obviously then you go through the process. Well, you just don't know who's going to make the call, yeah. Julian. So you don't know who to really spend so much time on the relationship with, especially over a two-year period in order to try and get out of the line, you know? Like yeah. it's That's a long process. It is a long process and, and yeah. it took a long time. And there was definitely stages that um, we didn't think it would it would actually go ahead. Mm. Um, I'd started my master's in business from UQ, um, I want to say a couple of years, like when that probably started or maybe even a little bit before. Yes. I was halfway through it when we were doing the due diligence and, and the sale actually um, transacted wow. and so a lot of my research and study at, at uh, during the masters was actually on the transaction yes which was a blessing because i was living oh, cool. it yeah i was living it and i could go back into uq and it was all confidential but i could go back into uq and talk about what i was witnessing mm. um it, it was just incredible to go through that process um and to be a part of it and then for the sale to happen and, and that also allowed me to move on um, that stage. Can you remember the first? Well. Can you remember the first thing you did after the sale went through? Oh, good question. Good question. I think I resigned. <laughs> <laughs> You're smart enough not to have a caveat that you had to be there for a year or something. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I wasn't one of the one of the the boys that had to have that. So I think right. um, I think I knew well before then that um, it, it probably wasn't the path that I wanted to go. Mm. Um, I, I was probably a bit tired, to be honest. I was a bit burnt out. Um, mm-hmm. I was well into my masters, and I, and I knew that I wanted to do something a bit different. I needed mm. to change. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I did. I think I resigned pretty quickly to say, okay, I'm I'm out, boys. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so maybe Julie... I had a beer first. Maybe I had a beer first, Sean. Mate, I, I would have had, had mate, I would have had a bottle of Bollinger to myself, but um, <laughs> that's all good. Yeah. Um, so, so Julian, um, my last my last question to you is obviously like. You're, you're a man who's, who was literally pretty much born into hospitality, um, whether you liked it or not, you know, uh, remained a hustler selling your dad's pizza at your school and, 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 and really just sort of accidentally came into hospitality to be such a successful, such a successful person. Um, and then obviously doing an amazing job, I know, as a, uh, a food and bed spe- specialist and leasing agent with QIC, who's an amazing company. I know uh, a good amount of people with QIC and, and they're, they're really, really good to work, uh, to work with. Um, what's, what's next? How do you think you're going to add value to the hospitality industry now in such a pivotal, pivotal role, uh, pivotal change in the market? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, I'm very thankful for, for QIC. They are really a good company. I'm, mm. um, I'm very thankful for how they speak to their tenants and how they deal with um, food and beverage t- tenants because obviously that's my passion, but I'm very thankful mm. for that. Um, look, I, I think after being through, I'm not academic at all, Sean, at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. And I had to work my butt off to get my MBA. I had to really – I gave up TV. I studied two hours every night wow. to, to push through and get that mm-hmm. um, master's. And it was, it was a real achievement to be able to do that with a family and with business and to get through it. Yeah. And it's, once it was finished, it was very much of, uh, is that it? What's mm. next? Interesting. Yeah, and I never thought I would be like that because I'm certainly not academic. I was not great at school. I was not great at school at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I was too busy selling pizza. Um, <laughs> so good though. I love yeah, that. <laughs> that um, I I had stayed in touch with the guys at UQ, and mm-hmm. I um, recently actually was back in there talking to um, one of the directors of the hospitality and tourism. Um, sector in mm-hmm. in UQ mm-hmm. and talking about doing some guest lecturing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Amazing. I think I think for me um, the education component of hospitality is on my horizon at some stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know what that looks like, but it would definitely be through UQ at this stage to understand the education um, side of it and learn from, from that journey mm-hmm. um, and get in to do some guest lecturing and, and understand what that side of it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, my wife's been working on a company. She's also food and beverage. Um, 
yeah, it's, it's been fantastic to share a journey with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she started a company called Food Beverage Logic, which is a hospitality education company. Nice. Um, that'll be launching uh, later this year once mm-hmm. once everything sort of comes back to some normality. Yes. Um, and I think which would be very much needed at that point, right? Yeah, very much so. Mm. Very much so. So, I think um, for me, it's definitely going to be involved in education of hospitality industry and how to pass on and teach people what I've been through and what I've learned on both sides of the fence, um, mm-hmm. retail and, and landlord side, mm-hmm. and to be able to increase the success rate of, of cafes and restaurants. Yeah. You know, six, six in 10 fail over three years. Doesn't matter. That, that statistic's really interesting, Sean. I don't know if you've seen that, but that, and there's multiple, you know, there's definitely There's multiple. so many that we hear, right? Correct. There's, there's yeah. definitely so many, 90% fail and all that. Mm. All the research that I've done, when you look at it across the world, on average, it definitely looks like six out of 10 fail in, within three years. Yes. Or the better word is probably close because some may be successful and decide to close anyway. Correct. So, or, that, or, they, or that site may not work. Correct. They may have 10 other sites that work quite well. That work so. quite well. Mm-hmm. So six out of 10, I think close is a better analogy. Mm. And there's no doubt that I think like my mum and dad when they um, – decided to buy a pizza restaurant four hours out of Melbourne with it. no experience. I want to make sure that whoever decides to do that is is set up for success through through education, not through consultation, through education. I, I really want to educate them how to do it so they know how to do it without anybody. I think that's important. Yeah, yeah I love that. It's, it's almost, if I can sort of hazard a guess, it's almost like doing what a franchise all would do in a, in a situation to get someone to a point of actual ownership, because I think the biggest gap in our in our industry is that barista who's extremely good at what they do, so they want to open a cafe, or that chef who is fantastic at putting out meals within ten minutes, who wants to open a restaurant, but then lacks the skill and um, fortitude to actually know what markers to put in place next. To, yeah. sort of, to sort of go into ownership and actually try and be more successful than the six out of ten that close, you know? 100%. 100%. And it's getting them to understand that they don't know what they don't know. Yes. And to ask for help. <laughs> mm. you know, and I think if you're buying a house and you're spending 500000 for example, on a house, you're not just going out and just making any offer. You're actually researching what that house is worth, what the market's worth. You go for multiple inspections, yet people just – Spend five hundred grand on a restaurant, but don't really know what you know what what the business side of it is. No, no, and a lot of that is a lot of that. I think um, is is ego and and the fact that they were you know whatever in the industry for five or six years, and they feel like it it's their time to go through, and they a lot of other people tell them that it's a good idea as well. Um, because let's face it, like you open you've opened restaurants and cafes and other stuff like me, and seen a lot of openings. Like it's pretty fucking cool. Oh, so it's, yeah. <laughs> it's intoxicating, yeah. right? So oh yeah, love it. It's a fun thing to do. So I think um, I think if what you and your wife are going to do is is going to at least give people a reality check to understand what hospitality is like, as you came up through the ranks and saw, I think, and I, I did as well. Like that's only a, that's only a good thing. So I wish you the best of luck with that. It's really cool. Yeah, and no, I thank you, mm. mate. We love our industry, huh? We really do. Yeah, and and the end of the day, we just want to see people succeed, right? And hundred um, percent. And um, because we know the people who get burnt out and um, thrown out in really bad ways, so we want to yeah. make sure that they set up for success as much as we can. So it's a really yeah, cool definitely. thing. Definitely. Um, Julian, I thank you for today's chat. It's been a really great one. I appreciate the honesty and 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 journey. There it was really really good. I know people are going to get a lot out of it. What is the best way that people can connect with you uh, on LinkedIn? Um, yeah, I just think on LinkedIn, send me a message. If, um, certainly through this journey, I mean, I, I've reached out a few times to a few people and, and, you know, guys, if anyone's listening, a lot of my friends own restaurants and cafes and I've been work, mm. working with them through this period right mm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just Julian Mero, M-E-R-O. Um, you'll find me on LinkedIn working for QIC. Um, I'm happy to help anybody um, through this period and give my advice or my feedback or just even a, a conversation. And I have had a fair few conversations with people ranging from Yak and Dander in Victoria mm. to Byron Bay to Brisbane, 
all sorts of um, different businesses that just trying to get them to understand what the process is to get to a point where they can reopen. So, yeah, the the offer's there to anybody. Um, I'm not sure when this will go to air, Sean, but <laughs> maybe it's over by then. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll um, it'll likely be sometime next week, so the week, uh, the second week of April. So, um, yeah. so we'll we'll still be um, deep in it, and uh, I think I think you know, if people listen to this months after it's recorded today, that um, they're going to get a lot of value out of you, Julian. So um, I'll make sure that I link up link up your LinkedIn profile in the, on the bio of this podcast so people can easily connect with you. And um, Julian Merrow, thank you so much for your time today, mate. I really uh, appreciate sure. it. Thank you, mate. I really enjoyed talking about it. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Open Pantry Podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it and got something out of it once again please make sure you leave me some feedback through that little link you'll see in the bio of this podcast and as always make sure you please subscribe and share if you think it's valuable to other people within inside the hospitality industry i think they're really going to enjoy it and i hope you enjoy it as well until next time please stay safe